Well, it is Veterans Day today, and before we do anything else, if you are a military veteran, if you've served our country in either any branch of the military, would you stand so that we can recognize you and thank you for that service? Thank you for what you've given so that we can have freedoms in our lives, um, especially the freedom to worship, um, and, and that's something that I think we take for granted a lot. You know, today's not just Veterans Day, though. Uh, as Tom uh, alluded to in his prayer, it's the 100th anniversary of Armistice Day, the signing of the armistice that ended World War I. It effectively stopped the fighting on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918. And while we thought that was the war to end all wars, and so the end of the fighting, it must have been the best news in the world, you know, eventually we found that that was not really the war to end all wars, that the world is still hurting and struggling, that there are still many things that are not working right. And that's across the world, but that also, that, that is the case in our own human hearts. We can see that happens, that Although we have standards that we would like to live up to, we're not able even to reach our own standards, much less God's standards. I think the world today recognizes this and is searching for a greater hope than what humans can produce. And I think we as the church have that hope. Our hymn today, I think, is about that hope. And my hope for us is that as we look at this hymn, we can be filled with this hope. Uh, and we can be people that are transformed to go out into the world and bring this hope to others. So will you pray with me as we get started in this hymn? Lord Jesus, we uh, just start by confessing we need you today. We need you just as much today as we ever have. And so we pray that you would come and be present here with us and move among us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Let us hear your words in ways that will move us and change us, and open our lives to the power of the Spirit that's available to us in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts will be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. For you, God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Oh, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling was written by Charles Wesley. He's the lesser known of the Wesley brothers. Uh, Charles is John Wesley's younger brother. Uh, Charles was born in 1707. And he followed in John's footsteps for the beginning part of life, did a lot of the same things as him, uh, also went to Oxford, with, um, and, and Charles is actually the one that started the Holy Club, the, the original Methodist small group. Charles and his friends started that at Oxford. John Wesley didn't join that until he became a lecturer at Oxford, and then he assumed uh, leadership of the club when he joined because he was older uh, and probably had a little bit more of a leadership gift to him. Uh, Charles Wesley, really his gift was in hymn writing. The guy wrote almost 9,000 hymns in his lifetime. Just mind-blowing. The runner-up, Isaac Watts, only wrote a tenth of as many as Charles Wesley did. And the early Methodists, um, they learned and were taught as much from Charles Wesley's hymns as they were from John Wesley's sermons. And so he has had a tremendous influence on us here as Methodists. Uh, his hymns also have been used throughout the global Christianity uh, to be used for worship, and they speak to so many people in so many ways. Uh, my hope today is as we look at this hymn, we'll be able to catch on to 
the good news of the early Methodists, that they uh, lived, that they experienced, and that they sought to press into with their own lives. So as we look at this, we're going to look at uh, each, each stanza, and we're just going to go through and try to see what it says and how it might apply to us today. The first stanza says, Love divine, all loves excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down, fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure unbounded love thou art, visit us with thy salvation, enter every trembling heart. At first glance, this seems like it's a hymn about love, and it, and it kind of is, but the subject of the hymn is not really love as a general concept. The subject of this hymn is Jesus. It's a prayer to Jesus. Jesus is love divine. He is the love, all love's excelling, the love that's better than any other love that the world has ever seen. Jesus is the joy of heaven to earth come down. We can see this in 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this, the love of God was made known to us, Jesus coming into the world. What the hymn is saying and what this scripture is saying is if you want to know what true love looks like at its deepest and most profound level, you need to look at Jesus. You need to look at the way that Jesus, while he had a perfect place with his Father in heaven, gave that up to come down and walk on a broken earth and take on a broken humanity. You need to look at Jesus who loved people so perfectly in this life, even the most unlovable it didn't matter if they were a Pharisee or if they were an outcast in the society. Jesus loved them and he had compassion on them. And then if you want to know what true love looks like, look at the cross. At how Jesus gave up his life for us. Look at how the Father gave his only son so we could be reconnected to him. And it's this self-sacrificing kind of love that we're called to look at. See, this, this hymn calls us to look at that love in Jesus and to know about that love in Jesus. And, um, you know, interesting little aside, when I'm talking to someone who's not yet a Christian and they're exploring Christianity, you know one of the best ways to show people what Christianity is? Definitely by living out the love of Christ. But if you get a chance, have someone read through a gospel with you, then they get to read about and encounter Jesus. You know, it's more than just sharing a bullet-pointed list of doctrines and beliefs. It's, we want people to get to know Jesus. This hymn talks not just about getting to know Jesus, though, but about an encounter with Jesus that does something in our lives. That last line there, visit us with thy salvation, enter every trembling heart. It's a reference to Romans 5, 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we begin a relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives in a profound way. And for this reason, the early Methodists were really clear that they were about both the head and the heart of their religion. You know, they wanted people to know the love of God and to hear about it, but they didn't want them to just know about it. They wanted people to know it personally because they experienced it in their hearts because the Holy Spirit came in and let God's love come into their lives. 
Stanza 2 really builds on this. And I'm going to warn you, before I get into this, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. I know that's kind of a... I really, I say this kind of jokingly, but kind of seriously, I think it can be kind of a taboo topic. Maybe it's our assumption sometimes that the Charismatics and Pentecostals have the Holy Spirit, but we got Jesus, and that's good for me. That, that's actually not how it works. And, and I'll tell you why in a second, but let's look at this. It starts, breathe, oh breathe, thy loving spirit into every troubled breast. This is a prayer for the Holy Spirit to come and to fill up our lives. I love that Charles Wesley chose to call the Holy Spirit thy loving spirit. It seems like what he's trying to communicate through this hymn, through this verse, through this line, is that while we see God's love in Jesus, and we feel and encounter that love as as Jesus sends the Holy Spirit into our hearts, that the only way to really be filled with God's love is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This stanza is a prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think what happens when we are filled with the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit comes in and brings the love of God in a way that changes us from the inside out. 2 Corinthians 3.18 speaks about this change. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, it's the Spirit of God at work in our lives that changes us as we go through lives. As we continue to surrender ourselves, the Holy Spirit comes in and changes us from one degree of glory to another. This is a process, I believe, that takes our whole life. And it's one that we are involved with. Um, But this was a big part of early Methodism. This is a big part of the good news of the gospel, really. So often, I think that we believe the good news of Jesus, the good news of the gospel, is that Jesus died for our sins so we can be forgiven. And that's it. You know, we're forgiven so we get to go to heaven one day, but the rest of my life here, I'm just going to, you know, daily, I thank you that I'm forgiven. But the gospel is more than that. The good news of the Holy Spirit being a part of the gospel is that the Holy Spirit really can come into our lives and not just forgive us from sin. We do get forgiveness from sin, but we also can be freed from the power of sin in this life. We can be freed from the power of sin in this life by the love of God coming and filling us up by the Holy Spirit. Charles Wesley talks about this in a few ways in this uh, stanza. First, he, he says, take away our bent to sinning. Now, it's interesting, that's actually not the original uh, line that he wrote there. The original line that he had in his first edition of this, it came out in 1747, he had take away the power of sinning. And I think what he was trying to communicate is that as the Holy Spirit comes and fills our lives with God's love, it makes it so we're not under the control of sin anymore, but we can choose God's love. Now, John Wesley and another Methodist leader named John Fletcher, they read that and they said, whoa, 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 Charles, you're making it sound kind of like we don't have a choice in this. And they preferred um, take away our bent to sinning because it indicates that while it might be that the Holy Spirit can make us uh, inclined to God instead of inclined to sin, it doesn't take away the daily walk, the daily struggle. I know at some points I've thought, man, God, if you could just make me an, an automated Christian where you get to choose exactly what I do and when I do it, if you could just be in control of all my actions and I don't have to make choices and choose 
those things that I know aren't good for me, I would be far, far happier. Almost like being a robot. But God has not chosen to let us do that. But he invites us to consider continuing to choose him. So that's why take away our bent from sinning is a, is a better fit. It, it speaks to the way that the power of sin is removed in a way, but we still have to wake up each day and say, Holy Spirit, I need you to come and fill me with God's divine love even today. I know I had it yesterday. Yesterday was good. I need it again today so that we can continue to choose God over sin each day. The other part uh, that's a reference to our, our growth and our transformation is the line, let us find that second rest. Now, this one's more controversial even. The second rest is a reference to entire sanctification. It's to the idea that there could be moments where the Holy Spirit fills you so much with the love of God that the love for sin is completely driven out. They, this, this doctrine of entire sanctification, it's also known as Christian perfection, or Wesley would refer to it sometimes as holiness of heart and life. It's a really controversial doctrine. You know, the confidence we have that God can take away our love for sin totally in this life is not our confidence in our being able to do that. It's a confidence that there's nothing that's more powerful than God. And if God wants to do that in our lives, he can do that. Now, both John and Charles Wesley were really clear that while they think this happens and we should ask for it, we should ask to be so filled with the Holy Spirit that, that we are totally surrendered to God and only filled with God's love. And while that happens at times, that is not the normal Christian experience for all of our lives. And that's really important to get. If you thought that was the normal Christian experience, you would probably be very disappointed with your constant struggle. And I think some people at times maybe have even wondered, is something wrong with me? No, it, it'll continue to be a struggle at times. And there might be moments where God fills you so much with the Holy Spirit that it drives out any love for sin. Um, but daily, we have to continue to surrender ourselves. And so Wesley, while he taught about entire sanctification, he also cautioned people to not get prideful and to not miss that this is also a daily journey. I think if you miss one or the other of these, you kind of put yourself in a bad place. If you limit God by saying he can't do that in our life right now, um, you're putting limits around the God of the universe. I don't know if that's wise. And if you miss that it's a daily journey, then you're going to end up in a place of confusion where the emotions aren't feeling right and why am I not totally filled with God right now? So I think we need both of them. And this hymn speaks to both of them. Wesley talks about entire sanctification and I want to read what he says. I think it clarifies maybe a little bit of what this teaching is. It is thus that we wait for entire sanctification, for a full salvation from all our sins, from pride, self-will, anger, unbelief, or as the apostle expresses it, go unto perfection. But what is perfection? The word has various senses. Here it means perfect love. It is love excluding sin. Love filling the heart, taking up the whole capacity of the soul. It is love rejoicing evermore, praying without ceasing. In everything, giving thanks. And it's this that was the great hope of the early Methodists. The rest of this hymn really is written from the point of view of one that has experienced the Holy Spirit coming into their life and changing them in some ways. So I'm not going to have nearly as much to say about the, these, these next two stanzas, but 
Stanza three really is just someone who has tasted how good it is for the Holy Spirit to be in their life. And they're saying, come on, God, continue to let me enjoy that fellowship with you. If you've ever experienced that, you know what that's like. It is uh, like, like, a, like a bliss. It is uh, a, a time when, I don't know, for me, maybe you've experienced this too. Have you ever experienced a time where you felt God so strongly you just never wanted to stop worshiping God? You knew that was a crazy thought when you thought it, but you thought, man, this is just too good. I'm connected with the God of the universe that made me and saved me. Stanza four is a prayer that the Holy Spirit would help us to persevere. And like I said, it's that daily journey that we have to wake up each day and say, fill me with your Holy Spirit today. Come and let your Holy Spirit that lives in me already grow and fill my life. And so this hymn is really a hymn that talks about God's love that we come to know in Jesus. But it doesn't just stop there. It talks about this love that comes to be made known to us as it comes into our lives by the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, we experience a profound change of our heart. It's a change of our motivations, and it's a change of our desires and our affections. Not just our outward actions. It's not, uh, it's not about the religious behavior that we are able to put up as a front talking about deep heart change here. You know what's really interesting about this hymn? It was published in so many hymnals. It's one of the most widespread published hymns that we have. And in a lot of those, they left out the second verse. Can you believe that? That we have this hymn that talks about God's love being so powerful that it can come and even fill us up so much to change our hearts. And there are a number of hymnals, a number of strains of Christianity that that's a little too much for them. So they've, they just left it out. I think that leaves us in a frustrating place. I think it leaves us in a place where we have to say, well, I'm glad that I'm forgiven, but this stuff that I still see in my heart that's a problem, God, I guess I'll just wait until you take me up. The good news of the whole gospel is that we don't have to just wait till we get to heaven for God to come in and transform our lives. But we can experience that right now through the power of the Holy Spirit filling our lives. You know, my own encounter with the Holy Spirit happened when I was 17. My, it was my first encounter with the Holy Spirit. Um, I didn't really know what it was at the time, but I came to see later on. I could, I could point at that and say, man, that was definitely the Holy Spirit. And so I want to tell you about that. I was, I was getting ready to go on a youth retreat when I was 17 years old. It was uh, something similar to a chrysalis. Uh, I was in the Episcopal Church, so I think it was called Happenings. But I was getting ready to go on this retreat, and that week before, I had asked a girl out, and she turned me down. She said, no, I don't, I don't really think I want to go out with you. And I was heartbroken. You know, at 17 years old, the world was ending. And, and, you know, worse than that, she was in my youth group, and there were only about five kids in my youth group, so she was going on this retreat. We were all going, and I said, oh, no, the world is really ending, and then worse than that, I heard from a friend of a friend of a friend, you know how that is, that she had said yes to this other guy, and he happened to be the student leader at the retreat I was going to be at. So I did the only sensible thing uh, that a 17-year-old does in that situation. I went home and I said, Mom, I'm not going on that retreat. <laughs> and she, like a good mom, she said, yes, you are. We already paid. <laughs> oh, God, why? 
So I went on this retreat, just frustrated, not in a great place, and I, I decided I was going to swear off of talking to girls the whole weekend. And it didn't take me more than about 30 minutes to realize that most of what I did on church retreats up until that point in my life was try to talk to girls. <laughs> so I was, I was bored out of my mind and, and really was, was not in a great place. I ended up dealing with that by talking to God. I talked to God the most I ever had up until that point in my life. That whole weekend, it was like a running conversation with God. And you know what the weirdest thing is? Not just me talking to God, but God talked back to me. God spoke into my life. I came away from that retreat with the word repentance seared into my mind. And I didn't even know what it meant. I had to go ask my youth minister, Ben, what does repent mean? Because God keeps, I think that word just keeps coming into my head and I don't know why. And he's like, well, it's when, you know, you're, you're walking not towards God and, and you repent, you decide... I want to turn my life towards God. I said, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense because earlier today in worship, when we were worshiping, I heard a voice from inside of me that was not my own voice. And it said, Thomas, I don't want you to just follow me on Sundays. I want you to follow Jesus every day for the rest of your life. And man, my, my life was turned upside down, folks. It really was. Up until that point, I had plenty of good church attendance. I had plenty of good Sunday school answers. I had been confirmed, not once, but twice. That's a whole other story I can tell you about later. But I didn't understand. It was about a relationship with Christ. Now, when I engaged in that relationship, the Holy Spirit started to come into my life. And people could tell there was something different about me. My friends maybe were a little tired of seeing that there was something different about me. But you know how I really knew that there was something different about me is in the months, weeks and months after that retreat, I, I began to be filled with a love for my little brother who was in middle school. And that's not something that you muster up under your own effort. Every, everyone that's had a sibling knows, and every parent who currently has kids, or really, that just doesn't happen. He was in middle school, my snot-nosed, annoying little brother, and I started to feel a deep sense of love for him. Folks, that was the Holy Spirit coming into my life to make a change in my heart that I was never going to make on my own, not at 17 years old at least. And that wasn't the only change, but that's the one I can point to most specifically. I can tell you that that feeling of having God in my life, it stayed for a little while. And then after some period of time, I had to kind of realize that this was going to be a lot harder journey than I thought it was going to be. And it, it probably took me a while to realize that it was going to have to be a daily surrendering of coming to God and saying, God, I knew you were in my life yesterday and that was a good day, but today I need your Holy Spirit breathed into my life even as much as I did yesterday. Would you come and breathe your Holy Spirit into me? I offer my life for you to change however you want to. And God has continued to be faithful to me, to show up, to work in my heart by the power of the Holy Spirit and I can't say it's been the easiest journey. That's not the selling point. But it's been worth it to encounter the living God by the Holy Spirit coming into my life. This hymn, uh, you know, Charles Wesley wrote it not just so he could sing it or not just so Methodists could sing it, but so it could instruct people. And I wonder what is this hymn instructing us all in today? 
are we going to be the kind of people who follow Jesus but want to leave out the verse about the Holy Spirit? We could easily do that. Or will we be the kind of Christ followers that embrace the Holy Spirit, that wake up each day and say, Holy Spirit, I'm not enough for myself today. I can't live up to the expectations that I even have for myself, much less yours, so I need your Holy Spirit to come and to transform me with your perfect love today. Will we be those kind of people that do that? I'll invite you even right now to consider what places in your life do you really need the Holy Spirit to come in? Maybe it's in the ways that you treat other people. And maybe for, most, for the most part, you treat people pretty decently, but then there's one or two people that are just extra hard to love, right? Most of the time, they're people we live with because we know exactly what they're like even when they're not put together. And maybe you need God's love to come in to give you something that's more than your own willpower to love them with God's love. Maybe for you, it's something else. Maybe there is some kind of addiction in your life Maybe it's a pretty standard addiction, drugs or alcohol or pornography. Maybe it's something else. But did you know the early Methodists, they gave rise to the 12-step programs because they believed that even the worst of addictions, God's Holy Spirit could come in and transform that person's hearts. So maybe today it's an addiction or just some kind of a secret sin that you need to bring to God and say, Get Holy Spirit, come and change my life. Maybe for you today, it's a love for wealth and comfort and the materialism of the world around us that is rampant, that keeps you from being generous with the stuff that God's given you and really has become an idol in some ways. This is something we probably all need to check ourselves on from time to time. Maybe for you today, that's the place where you need to say, Holy Spirit, this is out of my control. Although I want to love you more than these, these things, I'm just struggling. Would you come and help me to love you more? I invite your Holy Spirit to come into my life. Where is it in your life today that you need the Holy Spirit? And will you invite the Holy Spirit to come and transform you with God's love that is better than any other love that the world has ever seen? Let us pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you in to this place, and we invite you into our lives. We confess that we are not enough to make the change in our hearts that needs to happen. And so we ask that you would come and fill us up with your love that's so powerful that it can even drive away the worst of sins. God, I pray that you would come into us as a church and that you would let us be a people that earnestly seek the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, that embrace what you promise us, and that are able to be so filled with your love that as we leave from here, we can be filled with your love to show the world a love that they want. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us, form us, melt us, and mold us so that we can embody your love that we see in Jesus Christ. Amen.